Eleanor. What? Employee stock purchasing plans. Welcome to the Who What Podcast, the podcast brought to you by Eleanor Wealth Planning. My name is Greg Gorski. I am a certified financial planner, and Eleanor Wealth Planning is a financial planning firm that caters to parents who receive equity compensation. Today, we're going to be talking about employee stock purchasing plans, or ESPPs. We are going to be looking at the parts of a stock purchasing plan, the terms that you need to be aware of, the basic rules and regulations as it pertains to ESPPs, and how to use an ESPP plan strategically, depending on your life goals and your financial standing. So to start, let's talk about the basic parts and the operations of a stock purchasing plan. A stock purchasing plan is the chance for employees to take part in the growth of a company by purchasing shares in the company periodically over a period of time dictated by the employer and the rules of the plan. Usually, you have a six-month offering period. An offering period is that period where you are allowed to take a portion of your pay and put it into your ESPP account. Now, most commonly, these offering periods are about six months long. Sometimes they're three months long. And during the course of the offering period, you are putting an equal amount of your paycheck into the account on a regular basis. The IRS allows you to contribute up to $25,000 into an ESPP account. So you can take $25,000 if you were to contribute to max, divide it by the number of times that you get paid per year, and that's how much you would be depositing into your ESPP account. Now, some plans have lower limits than that $25,000 IRS limit, so you should look at your specific plan for what you'd be able to contribute. At the end of the offering period, there is a purchase period. The purchase period is the time when you can actually take the money that you deposited into the ESPP account and purchase the shares. Now, what makes an ESPP plan attractive is that companies will usually allow their employees to purchase the stock at a discount. The most common discount percentage is 15%, but this can vary. So again, look at your plan. So you've put all the money into the plan, the purchase period comes up, you can hit a button and you're purchasing the stock at that 15% discount and you now own the shares. So you have instantly received a 15% rate of return. There are some plans that allow what's called a look back period. What that means is that with a plan that doesn't have a look back period, you are essentially going to receive the discount based on the purchase price during the purchase period. But if your plan has a look-back period or a look-back option, you actually have the ability to either get the discount price during the purchase period or at the beginning of the offering period. So whatever the price was at the beginning of the offering period or near the end when you enter the purchase period, whichever price was lower, you are going to get the discount on that price. Additionally, There are some plans where the lookout provision says you are going to get the lowest price, not from the beginning or the end of the offering period, but whatever the lowest price was during the entirety of the offering period. It might have been day one. It might have been the first month. Who knows? But you are going to get the chance to purchase the shares at the lowest price during the offering period 
with that discount. So now you own shares in the company, you received it at a discount, you automatically have an instant rate of return. So the shares are worth, theoretically, more than when you purchase them. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is that if you were to sell the shares immediately, you've earned 15% growth right away via the discount, and you have more money than you would have had if you weren't participating in the plan. There are two strategies to implement when it comes to a stock purchasing plan. The first one is the easiest to understand. It's simply to increase your income. So as I said, if you have been contributing or depositing funds during the offering period, you receive your shares at the price of whatever the lowest price allowed based on the rules of your plan, and then you receive the discount, you instantly have 15% more in funds than you would have had if you weren't participating. You sell the funds when able, you pocket the money, and you've received a 15% increase in your income up to the $25,000 IRS limit or whatever your plan provides. So this is the simplest way to use a stock purchasing plan. You contribute, you contribute the most that you can, and then you sell when you purchase the shares. The downside to this strategy is that it's all going to be ordinary income tax. So the gain, that 15% discount, is considered income. It's short-term because you purchased it and sold it right away, and you're going to have to pay whatever your highest income tax bracket is on those shares. But you've also received the income and a 15% salary bump on whatever you put into the plan. So it's win-win. If your goal is to increase cash flow, this is the best way to use the plan. Very vanilla, not very exciting, but the goal is to increase the income. You've done it through the discount. Congratulations, you've succeeded to implement this plan correctly. The second strategy for using an employee stock purchasing plan requires you to understand that you are taking on investment risk. So the concept of the strategy is that we are going to hold on to the shares long term in order to get a qualified disposition and a more tax efficient treatment of the gains. I'll explain a qualified disposition in a second. If we are going to take on this strategy, we have to accept that we are taking on investment risk. We are going to be holding on to the shares, and the volatility of the shares are going to make the price go up and down. The value that we have in the shares is going to go up and down, and the price might go down to zero, and we've lost all the money we've dedicated to this strategy. If you don't need the cash flow, and you're willing to take on that risk, then the strategy is to hold on to the shares for a period of time that's going to allow us to have a qualified disposition and any gains, the taxes for the gains, are going to be treated as capital gains, long-term capital gains, as opposed to short-term capital gains, which will be taxed at your ordinary income rate. So we talked about this in a previous podcast, but a qualified disposition of employee equity is when you hold on to the shares for at least Two years past the grant date, which in this case is the offering period when you are allowed to participate in the plan, and one year past the purchase date, which is when you actually purchase the shares at the discount, if you satisfy both of those, you will get a qualified disposition and any gains will be taxed at the long-term tax rate. So how does that look when we're actually looking at our gains? First, that delta between the discount you receive and the fair market value of the shares when you actually get them in your account 
is always going to be ordinary income. You're always going to have to pay ordinary income on that difference. However, whatever gains you receive from the time the shares actually go into your account, whatever the value is on that day, and whatever the value is when you sell, that delta and that gain or growth will be taxed at your long-term capital gains rate, which is always going to be lower than your ordinary income rate. Let's consider the why of having long-term exposure to company stock. What are some of the reasons that we might want to forego the instant income of an employee stock purchasing plan and instead hold on to the shares and experience the long-term gains? For some, they just want to have some exposure to company stock. They feel confident in the company's future and they want to have some opportunity to take part in the growth. And for those people who might have a variety of different equity compensation packages, such as ISOs, ESPP, RSUs, because of the greater tax efficiency of stock purchasing plans, if you have a variety of options on how you can participate in company growth, you would obviously want to choose the plan or equity compensation package that's going to provide you with the least amount of taxes paid and the most money in pocket when you sell your shares. So in this case, if you have an employee or you are an employee who wants to participate in company growth and you have the opportunity to participate in a variety of equity compensation packages, then it's definitely worthwhile to consider a stock purchasing plan as those shares that you're going to hold long term. If you only have a stock purchasing plan and you want to have exposure, then you can find the happy balance between selling some and holding on to some for the long term. Again, it really depends on your particular situation. There's also going to be some instances where people have been depositing funds into their account during the offering period. Upon getting to the purchase period, they receive a look-back opportunity that allows them to purchase the shares at that discount at a time when the shares were at a low, and for some reason, during the offering period, the stock went up exponentially. So when we're talking about employee stock purchasing plan, the thing we want to avoid is selling the shares when we have actually lost money. Now, if we're looking at income, we purchase the shares, we get the discount, we sell them right away, we have a 15% bump in pay. But what happens if you purchase the shares at the discount via a lookout period, and not only do you receive that 15% discount, but the shares have accumulated 25%, 50%, 100% in value right away? In those instances, we might want to consider holding on to the shares for a long period of time. Again, we do want to accept that there is going to be some investment risk. There's going to be volatility. We might lose the gains that occurred during that offering period. But if we are confident that the company is either going to stay flat or continue to grow, then we have a large amount of gains that it might be worth taking on the risk to wait that period of time it takes to get to a qualified disposition so that we can receive those shares via a capital gains tax versus an ordinary income tax, and we will have much more to show for our weight. Even with the substantial growth during the offering period, if you're a cash flow case or you just don't like the risk, Maybe it's still worth paying the ordinary income to get the money now. The bird in the hand versus the two in the bush analogy. 
But for people who are willing to take the risk, if we've seen some large growth during that offering period, then it might be a reason to transition our strategy from income to investment. It really depends on your situation, your risk tolerance, and how you feel about your company going forward. So that's a crash course into how employee stock purchasing plans work. To review quickly, there is an offering period. This is when you'll be putting money into the plan or into your account. There is a purchasing period. At that time, depending on the rules of the plan, you are going to purchase shares and receive a discount. The share price is going to be based on the rules of the account. It might be whatever the value is on the purchase day. It might be whatever the value was at the start of the offering period. It might be something in between. You are going to have an instant rate of return based on your discount, which you can use as instant income, sell, and go about your day. Or if you're willing to take the risk, or if there's been substantial growth, maybe you want to hold on to them and you want to see what might happen over the course of time so that you can receive more in the value of the shares by paying less in taxes via a qualified disposition and paying capital gains versus ordinary income. So that's employee stock purchasing plan. There's a lot to it. This is a very basic idea of how they work and what you should be thinking about, but is not necessarily a true answer to what you should do. That's why we recommend you work with a financial professional to understand your situation and what exactly is going to work for your specific case. We are going to look at ESPP plans and break it down a little more aggressively in future podcasts, but for now, we have a general idea of how they work and what you should be thinking about when you use them. What's the internet say? For a good internet resource for employee stock purchasing plans and other financial concepts, I want to give an endorsement to a site I love, Investopedia.com. Investopedia.com is an online media service related to investment and planning strategies. It is a resource that I use quite often when I come upon a topic that I either need to get a refresher on or I don't have uh, that expertise. And it's a great place to start. It should not be the end of your research, but it's a great place to start when you want to get some basic ideas for a particular planning or investment topic. I looked up employee stock purchasing plans on Investopedia, and they gave a very good skeletal explanation of how the plans work, what an investor should be thinking about, and some concepts related to taxes and the different terms as it relates to the plan. Very similar to how this podcast operated. It was very straightforward, very simple, very easy to understand. It's the Wikipedia of investing. And as I said, it's a great place to start your search when you have a question about financial planning, finance, or investing. It's not necessarily where you should end your search. They have a variety of different levels of research from very simple, as I just mentioned. It can go very in-depth. They have a lot of contributors, and it is definitely worth a look for this or other financial planning topics. So I give a very big thumbs up to Investopedia if you want to give them a look and see where it might take you depending on what you are trying to find out about. Does this matter? In the news for the week of October 3rd is the government shutdown. Now, luckily, if you've been following the news, you know that there was a plan to push out a potential government shutdown by 45 days. They agreed to delay any spending bill votes for 45 days while they have 
conference and debate on the floor and what have you. And for this topic, I wanted to just go over briefly some of the ways that a government shutdown would affect the economy as a whole so that you can see some of the different areas in which you might be affected either directly or indirectly, but have a basic understanding of exactly what a shutdown will affect. A shutdown is essentially where the government refuses, if you want to use that word, to pay its liabilities and its payments, its programs, etc., etc. And it affects things like, obviously directly, it'll affect federal workers. It doesn't pay paychecks for federal workers. It won't pay for federal services. It'll close down parks, national parks, and other uh, museums as well, other nationally funded programs and institutions. The one thing that it will not affect, at least not in the beginning, is social security checks. So there's no worry if you rely on social security, that will still be received. If you are a federal worker or you're contracted by the government, then it'll definitely affect you as you, you won't be getting paid. There are various public services such as food inspection, air traffic security, uh, other areas which might be not completely shut down, but it might be compromised. It could affect public safety, for example. The indirect results of a government shutdown, obviously, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of uncertainty and therefore it can affect the financial market. So you're going to see some volatility in your account. You're going to see some day traders going a little nutty. So obviously it's going to affect your bottom line, even if you aren't active on uh, the trading block on a daily basis. As I mentioned, national parks and other tourist things will be uh, shut down. Education funding can see limited funding. It might affect uh, school programs. Uh, teachers or compensations will still come as they're paid more on the state level, but some federal programs and federal funds may not get to the state level. Healthcare access and psychological services, as well as community support, as well as other programs can be affected. So in short, what a government shutdown will do is essentially not allow for the flow of monies to particular programs that rely on the federal government. For the average American who does not work for the government, the only real effect is that you're going to hear about it on the news. And it might cause a little bit of discontent and that uncertainty, which will reflect in the markets. This can lead to people having less confidence in the economy, consumer confidence directly. It might force people to consider their spending habits, leave more money in the bank, and therefore the velocity of the dollar, which is essentially, in short, how much people are spending and how quickly money's moving through the economy, it could slow down, which could cause a slowing of the economy as a whole. It's a very slow-moving set of dominoes, so it's not that it's going to be instant. They will announce a government shutdown, and then the economy will start to slow. The markets will go down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if it is long-lasting, it most certainly can cause issues, and it can cause you to notice some changes in your net worth, as well as hearing about some ill-fated predictions on your local news programs and national news programs. I would say that if I had to bet, I don't think a shutdown is going to happen without getting into the politics of it. We are in a particular situation in national politics 
where a government shutdown would wouldn't help anybody. Neither political party would benefit. And despite the the fringe politics on uh, within both parties, I don't think that there would be consensus to make a government shutdown happen, nonetheless happen for a long period of time. So it is something that we should pay attention to. But in the long run, even in the short run, I actually don't think it'll be something that'll make the history books. Stay tuned, stay aware, but I don't think it's something we need to worry about too much. So that's it for this edition of the Who What Podcast, Employee Stock Purchasing Plans. It is a pretty complex topic in regards to how you should implement the plan. It's a pretty easy decision on whether or not you should participate. My opinion is that you should, but once you start putting money into the plan, there's a lot of different directions you could go with the who, what, where, when, and why you purchase and sell and what you should really do. The the most efficient and the best strategy is really going to be specific to your case, which is why we always recommend that you work with and speak with a financial professional to figure out the strategy that best suits your case. You can always reach out to us with either questions or if you want to know more about this topic, you can go to allinor.com or reach out via email at allinor at allinor.com. O-W-L-A-N-D-O-R-E. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It's not meant to be construed as advice. For your specific situation, you should reach out to a financial planner or CPA or other financial professional to help you figure out what it is that you, Mr. and Mrs. Listener, need to do in your case. I'm Greg Gorski for All in Or Wealth Planning, and until next time, bye-bye.